Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, 27 by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, how's it going today? It's going okay. How's it going for you? I know that you're very excited about your bougie desk of space right now. Just so bougie with your desk space. Listeners, I may have spent like like most of yesterday cleaning off my desk while I was listening to impeachment hearings and sorting papers and putting them into alphabetized binders and then moving, having to shift one piece at a time into a new slot of the different... Like the the different dividers within the alphabetized binders, so that they would, yeah. But the the thing is that now I can use my pretty pretty desk, like half of it. And the thing I was going to focus on actually, Noel, is this delicious tea I'm able to keep on my desk from Harney and Sons. This week's episode brought to you brought by, to you by Harney, Harney and Sons fine teas, um, which I. I I assume they are they are expensive because they are really delicious, but I don't know because Noel sent them to me and they were delivered while we were recording last week, and I was like, "That's weird. I'm not expecting a package. I will open that later." Um, and so instead, I'm just going to embarrass Noel on the podcast here right now and saying thank you again for these delicious teas because he said ginger tea, but they also sent like a little like sampler of black tea and chamomile. Oh, uh, those are also delicious. That just oh, did I send a sampler? I think I did send a sampler. Was that on the invoice? I, I, they didn't. It's over there. I have it. Yeah, I think they just sent you that along with the order, I think. Because mm. I don't think I sent a sampler. I just sent the ginger and uh, lemon tea. You, it was stamped gift, so it's very possible they're like, oh, yes, yes, come into our web, and here is just a taste of the other fine offerings. But it's yeah. f***ing delicious, so thank you very much. My throat is very soothed. <laughs> You'll have to let me know how their black teas are, because I've only ever had herbal teas from them. Good. Yeah. Is it, it was very cool. good. Yeah. The yeah. chamomile I had last night. They come in those nice tins. Yeah. yeah. I just opened up the tin and it was just like a punch in the face of ginger. It was really. Yeah. Was, it's the it's best. Really it's really good. So my yeah. week is going no, good. I'm glad you're enjoying them. Thank you. Because <laughs> that is the kind of guy Nolas will just like be like, mm, he mentioned she's feeling a little under the weather. I'll send her some tea because I know she likes tea. And also, in in my defense, she also asked me for recommendations of ginger yeah. tea listeners. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I just went, well, Stash has a really good lemon and ginger tea. Um, but the um, the tea that she's drinking is like my go-to ginger tea uh, when I'm just like really not in it at all. Mm. That's the stuff. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> it is delicious. Also, <laughs> the stuff, uh, at least for the, the spirit and the soul, aside from just watching impeachment hearings happen which is very exciting for me um brooklyn and i was renewed for season eight this week uh before season seven even yep. premiered and while i say yay obviously very excited about this i feel like what's the point of renewing for a season eight what you should have done is renewed for season eight and nine because what are you gonna do not renew brooklyn nine nine for season nine come on we all know i think that's a super fair point um yeah, this renewal is wonderful news, but also is just a super clear sign that they don't know what their comedy slate's going to be next season at all yet. No. They have no, they Superstore, and that's it. Like, that's mm-hmm. it. 
Um, and they have, I don't think that they've renewed Superstore for next season yet. Not um, yet. But I feel like they kind of have to. Because, um, again, they will have nothing <laughs> uh, standing by without it and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Because Good Place is done. Perfect Harmony hasn't been picked up yet. Um, Will and Grace is done, done again. And Sunnyside is never coming back to broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed it's over at Hulu, um, let alone, you know, like, that. that's very surprising. But. Yeah, I have to assume that there was some weird contract stuff or production agreement that happened there that they had to like keep airing it um but yeah so i I, this is really great news um my favorite thing about this however was i was reading variety's write-up about it and they talked about how nbc's longest running comedies the good place and will and grace were coming to an end to which i went you didn't mention superstore having more seasons than either of those shows variety Mm -hmm. Kudos on your accurate reporting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like that should be a hard one to keep track of, but yeah. like I don't know, it just speaks to no, how under literally have four comedies. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, superstore really is. It, I know I was disappointed that it didn't seem to be. It, so far, it has not been in much discussion for top of the year, top of the decade. Um, of course, DV Club's top of the decade list came out. I contributed to that, um, and I, I wrote up Insecure and um, Key and Peel and Sense Eight. I was very glad that those all made the list, and um, the. Uh, they didn't let you write up Hannibal, I, those monsters. No, they gave Hannibal somebody else. That's okay, though. I was just glad it was on the list. There was a few that I was just like, oh, okay, good. Good, they made the list. I was not <laughs> sure that they would. Over the Garden Wall made the list, which is very, you know, important to me. Review yes. made the made the list. Uh, there were some other ones that I was a little uh, less certain would be on there. The one, though, that, of course, we will discuss, because I love it. <laughs> We get to the best of the decade segment that we do eventually. Um, will be Spartacus, which, like, I mean, Banshee made the list, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing against Banshee. But just, like, enough people at AV Club watch Banshee for it to make the list, but not enough people watch Spartacus? It's so good. Anyways, go go head over to the AV Club. When I was checking into the comments, they were still pretty chill. There was, by the way, a shout out to Carl. There was quite a number of commenters. There were quite a number of commenters uh, uh, very upset that we did not have the detectorists in the mix. So strong detectorist fandom over in the AV Club uh, comment section. But it was interesting, which shows people really connected with and which shows, like, I was expecting more hate in the comments. I was, like, a little hesitant. Mm -hmm. But they were actually all pretty, like, chill about it. So... Yeah, it was inter- at least when I stopped checking. Maybe if I went back now, I would regret it. But it was that that was over at AV Club. We're going to be doing our segment in the next month or so. Yeah, sometime if I can get my act together. <laughs> yeah, at some, at some, at, there's time. Don't worry, I'll be up to my elbows in flour before too long, and then I'll be like scrambling to get anything in. Um, but yeah, so the discourse around that, like I like Superstore was in my top fifty, but I know for other people it probably wouldn't even have been considered. And that, to me, just speaks to not enough people watching network TV, not enough people really engaging with what Superstore is doing. And doing so well. Very well. We're not going to talk about it this week, though. No. Because we have other TV we need to talk about. It was a good episode. But you know what else was a good episode? All of season four of She-Ra, which, spoiler alert, I really liked. We're going to talk about that as our season spotlight. Um, Back to 13 episodes and... 
we'll talk about it at the end of the show. Uh, but really enjoyed that. That conversation is coming for you guys soon. But before that, last week tonight, did a thing, Noel, as you are well aware. And any of our listeners who watched last week tonight know why I'm smiling as I say this, because they just... it. It's a thing of, of 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 beauty. They did a musical number and trying to edit around finding like a one minute clip that doesn't have profanity or just isn't so graphic that I don't feel comfortable putting it in a podcast where our spotlight section is She-Ra, <laughs> the princesses of power, was challenging. Um, but 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 yes, it was a delightful musical number all about Bob Murray, Cole Goblin. Um, so let's. Take a moment, listen to some of that, and we'll be back with our Week in TV right after this. We went to court against the world's worst sport and learned important lessons on the way. We spoke with perfect candor and got accused of slander because Bob Murray wants to make us pay. So even though he'll threaten legal Armageddon, we have just one tiny thing to say. Bob Murray can go f- himself today So that was clip one of at least two we'll hear this week uh, on the Televerse from the Bob Murray musical number from last week tonight. It's just, it's just, it's just chef's kiss. It's so good. This week in comedy and reality, we're going to kick things off, of course, with last week tonight with John Oliver, slap lawsuits. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about the Rick and Morty premiere, Edge of Morty, Rick Die, Repeat. And Noel's going to talk about Chiara Furu, uh, A Color for Brocade. Then I'll talk just a little bit about some reality I've been watching, The Final Table, and which is on Netflix, and Drag Race UK, the family that drags together, before we round things up with The Good Place, The Funeral to End All Funerals. Um, so first up is Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and just like the emoji with the hearts in the eyes is me, but also the emoji with the stars in the eyes is me, and I can't pick because I love it so much. Uh, what did you think? I think it's a really solid episode um, in terms of kind of doing a follow-up, because I was I had actually lost track of this story about Marie's lawsuit against them, and I was glad that they also turned this into not like a full-blown story, really, because they needed a lot of time to do that musical number. Um, oh, but... it's like a 25-minute-long 20, segment on YouTube. So yeah. And five of that is the yeah. song. So that's yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was really focused more so, I think, on them than, like, the larger notions of slap lawsuits. Like, they discussed it. But also, it was very focused on needling Bob Murray as much as possible. Which is fine, because Bob Murray's just awful um should we do a brief explanatory comma for those who don't know what this is about oh yeah so um earlier this year or late last year or sometime last year i think um they did an episode about um bob murray's uh coal and slash energy company and said some very unkind things about him including having a squirrel mascot present a check that said eat shit Bob Murray on it um, to reference something a actual employee of uh, Murray's energy company had 
done to him. Um, and all of this basically resulted in Murray suing last week tonight on HBO to basically be, yeah, you've defamed me and libeled me and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I want money because of this. Uh, you ruined my public reputation to which everyone else went, "Mm, no, (laughs) um, it's a satire show and it's comedy. So no that's not how it works here (laughs) that's not how this works um so that traveled through the courts basically um to get dismissed in a couple of areas including as this episode points out by a trump appointed judge that they had also mocked (laughs) (laughs) whoops except it didn't get dismissed by him because before it got to him he'd gotten caught up in a corruption scandal and he was impeached forgot about that bit yeah yes so all this fun stuff like gets gets tied up in this episode. Um, but that was basically the gist of it is like that lawsuit came down within a couple of weeks of that episode airing a couple of years ago. Um, and slap lawsuits are basically just annoyance, nuisance lawsuits that people put on just to either get money or to intimidate people to bankrupt you into not complaining basically because they have more money yeah. than you do. So they don't intend to win, but they know that just the process of proving what is demonstrably true or lawful about what you did you know um will bankrupt you and ruin your life so you just won't fight them because it's not worth right um and hbo went no we're hbo yeah (laughs) we have all the money (laughs) we may not have bob murray money but we have money um i mean we financed game of thrones for eight years so we've got plenty of cash now Um, so that was basically all this, but it leads into a multi, multi sort of set piece musical number that Kate will now tell us about, um, because it's very good. And I thought that this was their season finale, but I think they still have like an episode or two left. Yeah. Yeah. They have an episode left to which I go, what are you guys going to do for your finale? How is this not the finale? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and what a wonderful way to end the season it would have been too. Um, yeah. So so it's lovely on a number of reasons. The the styling of like an old school classic like golden age Hollywood musical number was delightful. Uh, the the starting with I mean taking advantage of I'm assuming he had some lesson Oliver had some voice lessons to get ready for Lion King. I mean who knows? But like taking advantage of probably more recent vocal training um, than he would have otherwise had. They they start with just like a song spoken kind of old school next to a piano and a tux kind of feel into like a Busby Berkeley musical number with the canes and the sparkly like uh, tux jacket and, and the stairs again out of like 20s, 30s, 40s uh, musical numbers and then Definitely into the 30s, streets. Yeah. Into the streets with the people, which was delightful. Uh, dance number around a fountain into Times Square, right? And the, oh, the, oh, and then, the, of course, they bring in Broadway's Brian Darcy James, who non-Broadway people will know from Smash and from other things. But, like, he's he's multi-Tony, at least nominee, if he hasn't already won a, a several, Brian Darcy James. Um, what, do, what do you know him from? Like, nothing. Really? Oh, did because yeah. it was so for me. Uh, he was he was the King George on Broadway in Hamilton. Uh, he was Shrek and Shrek. He's done all lots of different. He's done lots of things. Um, and he's yeah. the 
the, the really annoying husband of Deborah Messing on Smash, who never got to sing anything. And I was like, but you have Brian Darcy James. What are you doing? He's got an amazing, amazing voice. Um, so when he showed up as the lawyer, I was just like giddy. I was like, Yee! clapping. Um, and so it was so funny to me to, of course, immediately run to YouTube to watch it again and see all these comments of like, oh, is that like the actual lawyer? Oh, that's cool. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you don't you don't all know who this okay yeah broadway um bubble broadway bubble here i mean there's lots of broadway people i don't know but like he's done enough tv and movies i mean he was he wasn't he mm-hmm. in um i want to say he was in spotlight uh it was really good in that uh he's but he's a number of film roles too he's just a very very talented actor and a very talented singer um so when he came in as the lawyer that was my favorite part um and i think it still is uh, despite the the squirrel barbershop quartet, which is squirrel also barbershop my... quartet is pretty solid. That's yeah. very good. It's very very good, especially having the baby squirrel be the base of the, of the barbershop, um, which I in- enjoyed. And ending in Times Square with a kick line, and, and you, could, you, I also enjoyed. You could tell, like, while everybody there is a very good dancer and everything, it's it's sloppy, right? So they they clearly yes. just like threw this together, <laughs> um. Is versus having a lot and paying for a lot of rehearsal time to really get very crisp, clean lines. It's just, it's just the energy of the whole thing is delightful and fun. And yeah, like I said earlier, trying to find a clip I can use that isn't so vulgar that I don't feel okay putting it on a podcast where the main segment is a kid show and therefore might attract a younger audience share than, than we usually are thinking about. Um, was was interesting. It's really funny. It's really good. Good uh, vocal range. I had trouble understanding some of the lyrics. Yeah, I did too. And I couldn't tell if that was an audio issue or just a... I think it's a, an enunciation issue and the recording yeah. issue. Like when they were dancing yeah. around the fountain... You know, he, he doesn't like Tom Hanks. He cut off Van Gogh's ear. He told Hitler to quit painting and to find a new career. Like, I, I really did not get those lyrics. Uh, I had to, like, stop. Yeah, I didn't hear any of that. Yeah. 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 I definitely didn't hear any of that. I would have been deeply... I, But I I do think that this man doesn't like Tom Hanks. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> any final thoughts on, on this episode? Or this musical number? Any? Did you have a favorite part? I really do think that the lawyer part was my favorite, um, in no small part, because I also went. I wonder if that's the real lawyer. It's probably not, but <laughs> that would be delightful if it were, because I was one of those people. Yeah. No, um, the, so thanks the real for shaming me, sing, Kate. Sing that good. Like, they may. You don't know. <laughs> I do know. He's got an amazing, amazing, amazing voice. Also, uh, I want to say. I might be confusing this. I'm pretty sure that Donalyn Champlin has an amazing story about Brian Darcy James, uh, about basically mm-hmm. being obsessed with him and stalking him uh, briefly while they were in a show together uh, uh, that that is on YouTube. Seek it out. She, okay. And she's, she's got permission from him to tell this story. Yeah, it was like it was like some like open mic night or kind of, you know, show thing. It's it's great. It's really, really good. So go seek that out, everyone. I'll see if I can link it in the show notes. Um, but yes, no, that most, if you can sing that good, you're probably not a lawyer because it's really hard to sing. Maybe their passion is the law, though. Maybe they're deeply passionate <laughs> maybe they're about the Eli law. Maybe they're Eli Stone. Yeah, maybe they're just like really passionate about corporate law, Kate, okay? Maybe <laughs> they just really want to defend a major conglomerate from lawsuits. 
and also yes. file lawsuits against yeah. other people and other corporations. Um, but speaking of, I don't know, there's no good segue. Tell me about this fourth season premiere of Rick and Morty, <laughs> to which I went, only four seasons? Yeah, <laughs> only four seasons. Um, it was, this is Edge of to Morty, Rick Die, Repeat, because um, Rick kept uh, dying and then um just popping up as a clone in various alternate universes and then trying to find his way back. It was Didn't a thing. they do this um, already? I feel like an episode I watched involved them dealing with clones, or no, maybe it was an alternate universe versions of themselves. Oh, you know, they've done both of those things before. Okay. Yeah, no. That, okay. like, quizzical eyebrow trying to remember thing. Yeah, no, they've definitely done both of these things before. Um, but... Yeah, I thought it was solid. I thought it was fun. It it was very, very meta and uh is very much commenting on the run of the show. Like there's this it keeps ending up in, in authoritarian Hitler um kind of realities. And then and then the Morty there wants to get back to the like the classic good times, fun times kind of show, like vibe. Less of the serialization stuff. So like there's a lot of very knowing um uh, dialogue to the point where it actually was less interesting to me. But I mean, I could hopefully they got it out of their system with the premiere. I also am not as entertained as I think shows like Rick and Morty and also Always Sunny think I should be with just immediately like having one of the jokes be how mean they are to the the male characters are to the one of the women. Um, so Summer on Rick and Morty and D on Always Sunny. And like the the joke isn't that anything they're saying is appropriate, but it's just how ridiculously over the top it is. It's like, yeah, but it was actually more funny when they were just like a real character on the show. That was that was more funny. So hopefully we're getting back. We'll get back to that in episode two of, of Rick and Morty. There's gonna be five episodes in this uh, calendar year and then it's going to come back after a short hiatus again in 2020 but um yeah it was solid and I'm, I'm sure people are really excited for it to come back um and yeah it, it is very much its own thing so if you're not interested you won't enjoy it particularly so i would not recommend it to you no um but the uh i i have no tolerance for rick and morty yeah, so. yeah. but uh but but if you do enjoy that sensibility and the the humor of it you know they're very i think it's, they're it's less interesting than season three than um but more interesting than the start of the show so hopefully they will just build from here uh, and so let's go on to our next episode chiarfuru a color a colorful brocade i see that we are back to one episode a week we're back to one episode a week, and I don't know why. I assume it's because they started late in the season, mm-hmm. um, compared to a lot of other shows. And so they're kind of caught up to where most other shows are in the fall now. Because um, they started at the end of October, um, and most shows are around episode 6, 7, or 8 right now, since most shows start at the beginning of October for the fall. So I think that they were just trying to catch up. Um, but I just wish they had kept going. <laughs> Uh, so this episode has the Tai Chi and Chihaya actual like tournament match in it. Um, and it's delicious. It's really, really good for two reasons. One, we see that Tai Chi has developed strategies for dealing with Chihaya that he's just basically been holding on to for exactly this reason. Um, for when they face off in like an official match as opposed to like practice matches that they do at the school. So he's got like a whole different type of card arrangement, including like putting a bunch of cards right at the top in a row, which is very unusual for this game. 
um, and all this kinds of stuff to co- completely keep throwing her off her game, which seems to work, except for the fact that she's still incorporating a bunch of other things from her previous competitors into winning. Um, but what's interesting about this episode is that while we get those little internal monologues that the show uses during matches really extensively if you'll remember from when you watched it where they're talking in their heads about what cards are left or what their strategy should be or what they think that their opponent's strategy is and all this kind of stuff or which cards can i go for all the, all that it's still there and chihaya even does a tai chi-esque recitation of the cards that are left which is something that tai chi does because tai chi's memory is in incredibly good and that's how he kind of survives in matches but what i really liked about this episode is that it stepped away from both of them for most of the episode and really um allowed all the side and supporting characters to provide reactions to what was happening based on their experiences with chihaya and with tai chi respectively so Dusk Tomu was very focused on like the data aspect of it. There was a romance aspect from Oe-san and just all this kinds of stuff about how each of these people were interpreting this match through their own personal lens of what they knew and how they think about these two people. Um, which was just a really interesting way of handling this. And instead of going full-blown on the match, they made it a more kind of character-driven event, which I really, really appreciated. Uh, So it was a different sort of episode that naturally ends with us not knowing who won. (laughs) Um, But it was still really, really good. And just, it was a really different sort of episode for the show. It was more akin to the late season two episode that dealt with uh, uh, Arata having his match with the queen um, where it was very much centered around everyone else dealing with the atmosphere of that match. Um, But this was just an extension of that kind of an episode for them and that format. So I think it worked really, really well. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I'm very eager to see who won this match. I really hope it was Tai Chi (laughs) Um, because I think Chihaya needs like a lesson sort of learned about this is where he is now type of thing um so i'm really looking forward to that the best thing however and i don't know you may remember this character do you remember retro coon the kid with the bowl cut um who does like the tarot cards thing um so he won he he advanced to the final of the class b tournament to face off against a 30 year old 38 year old guy who had gotten to gotten to class b in like four years or something because his wife forced him to play competitive Carterata. And he's, like, dancing around so happy that he's in the final because if he wins, he can get into Class A. But this no-nothing this no-name character that he's playing against is like, wait, you've been in Class B for 10 years? You're such a side character. (laughs) That's fun. And I just went, I I just died a little bit, Kate, because it was so good (laughs) and so correct. He is just such a side character. But I was—I always appreciate when Chihaya gets a little meta on itself like that, so I really enjoyed it. But again, it's a really good episode, and it's continuing a really good run of episodes so far in Season 3. I love that that is Chihaya's, uh, Chihaya Fu's level of meta where, versus on Rick and Morty at the end. Like, so you ruined the yes. you ruined the premiere! It was going to be a great premiere! Season 4, oh, come on! Like, that's... 
slightly different levels of meta. <laughs> but that's that's really interesting. And um, first of all, thank goodness they showed the match. And second of all, yes. structuring it that way really lets it play. Just really highlights the how significant a moment this is for all the characters, and 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 mm-hmm. gives you a lot because like. I think we kind of both know most of what they would be thinking, you know, the, yeah. the those two themselves. So instead to pull back, like still get a sense of what they're doing through their gameplay and that stuff, but also reflect on how the other people are viewing it. I think that's that's a smart choice. So I look forward to catching up with it when I do. Um, I instead this week was catching up with The Final Table on Netflix. Are you familiar with this show? I am not. This is another cooking show because they, I've, they're, I'm right. out of baking shows on Netflix. I've watched them all, all the ones I'm interested in. Oh, okay. I was about to say you watched all the various uh, French, Spanish, and I Italian like language versions it. of Nailed It that they've dropped. It's not, and I know, I know you don't like Nailed It, which is why I was making this joke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then, like Netflix really wants me to like Nailed It, and so does everyone else. But, like, especially without Nicole Byer, I don't know why you think I'm going to watch that. Um, especially when I could watch Some of Just Desserts, which is like that, but just better. Um, though the hosting's not nearly as good, but still. Um, anyways, yeah. uh, back to Final Table. So what they did for this show is it's a – there's 12 sets of um, of pairs of, of chefs from all around the world. And there, every week is, it's like a culinary journey around the world. Every episode is a different country. And so they bring in three celebrities, two celebrities and one uh, very high profile food critic from that country. And then those three people have to agree on what the, like the thing from that country is going to be that everyone has to make. And then they pick their favorites and their least favorites and the bottom three teams have to compete in the secondary round to see who's going to get eliminated and they bring in the person that the show has decided is the best or, you know, their chef for that country. And that chef then chooses an ingredient, like kind of Iron Chef style, an ingredient from that country for them to base a dish around. And it could be whatever. So like... For example, um, for Mexico, they they went they did tacos. So every team has to make tacos, and you get only one hour, which really limits you know what you could do for a lot, of, and really impacts the, some of the decisions. And then like for the UK, they had to do an English breakfast, and um, okay, and then the, and then the ingredient was the English pea. You know, that kind of a thing. So so every week somebody gets uh, – one team gets eliminated. Um, then in the final – which is – it's 10 episodes in the final. They have um, the top, the final two teams then break off and compete independently. And uh, the – they have to make a dish. I think it can be – oh, yeah. What they did is they brought out all nine of their chefs from around the world and had and like with a plate in front of them that which is their signature dish. And so you have these like the chefs I had heard of. I was like, oh, they're a really big deal. Um, so I there are many of them I had not heard of because I don't know enough about the culinary world. But like for example, the um, what's that insanely expensive restaurant in Chicago? Do you know the one I'm talking about? It's with an A. Like they have like two hundred dollar tasting menus, and it's like consistently ranked as one of the best restaurants in the entire world. You know? I do not know. Okay. So the chef from that place, I was like, oh, that place. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, that's a really big deal. He was the chef for the United States, for example. And so they, they, and so for this, 
big finale moment. First of all, you can just watch the chefs losing their mind. Um, usually at who was picked to be the big deal chef for that week. At least one of the competing chefs is like, oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. Oh my God, this is so, this is so intense. Um, and then also frequently with the critics that they, br- they bring in, if they're, if the chef is from the country that they're doing that episode, um, they'll be like, like you could, they'll, they'll say the name, like when it was the United States, they said the name of like the, the blurb to describe the person. And one of the American chefs was like, ah, oh. uh, cause it was a very well-known and feared uh, food critic for the New York times. Um, anyways, so, so it was, it was really interesting to watch the chefs. Like it gave a lot of weight to the proceedings, how impacted the chefs clearly were by seeing this final panel with their signature dishes and like. It's very much like a, here's why we're at this table. Make us a dish that is as good as these ones. Um, No pressure. And so then they, you know, it's just the normal proceedings and they have this discussion of why, like, who deserves to be there? What's the priority? Is it, like, pushing boundaries? Is it just making the best tasting food? Is it, like, is it too complex? Is it too simple? That kind of a thing. So it was was fun. I enjoyed it. It's very over the top. It's like in a stadium. There's, like, an audience and everything. They don't really play to the audience, but... The, you you can hear them um, as it as it goes or goes around um, and I think there was a good range of kinds of food because there was definitely a lot of like really uh, oh cuisine like really fancy stuff but then also then it was like your your dish for India is butter chicken so make really really good butter chicken or like make an amazing taco you know. So so there was a lot of celebrating of like street food and of like ubiquitous staples and traditional food from around the world that I thought was neat. So um, it was cool. And mostly I just want more good food shows on Netflix because I've run out of them. So listeners, if you have any suggestions, (laughs) let me know. There's only one season of The Final Table as far as I know. Um, And is this 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 in English? it's in English. They have though they have subtitles okay. and, and translators for some of the chefs because not all the chefs speak English. Yeah, sure. Um, fr- right. From okay. the uh, I think all of the chefs who are competitors speak English though they subtitle they subtitled I think it was the Japanese chef and the Scottish chef yeah. <laughs> the two okay. who got the big, the most frequent subtitles which was fun. Um, but uh, the some of the ju- the judges that they brought in didn't speak English. And so they would translate. You could hear the translators actually like in real time translating to the judge Mm -hmm. and back and forth. So that was neat. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. And so if you're looking for like, again, good background viewing, good, uh, like if you want some ideas about different kinds of food or different preparations and there's some really out there stuff and then there's some really, um, accessible stuff too. So it was neat. I liked it. Okay. Uh, no, this is good. Thank you. Because now I'll have something to watch while I'm finishing up some freelance work today. Since some platform doesn't want me to watch our show for next week until Sunday. Yep. Deeply, deeply irritating. Very irritating. Yes. Uh, more about that next week. <laughs> um, but yes, but it, it's very over the top and self-important with the staging and stuff. It's like comedically it's like it's not as camp as as iron chef right so like if if you mm-hmm. if you didn't have the wink and the nod of iron chef that's what it would be so um yeah, yeah. okay so I, I will be curious if you watch them i'll be curious your thoughts uh drag race uk had its penultimate episode family that drags together which is the makeover episode and i was just going to mention it quickly to say that i'm enjoying i continue to enjoy the season i don't think the right person went home for the results 
of this episode, but it was clear, like, if you have four contestants, oh, these are the top three of those four. The fact that one of them did, the the one who is not in the top three, did better than one of the other ones in the top three in this challenge does not change the fact that this is who the top three should be. And so it's very rigged but um and and everybody did a good job to Tra- some extent drag race is rigged i what? know what i know <sighs> getting the vapors here um but uh so so yes that was it was pretty blatant it's like oh well they have to go home now because i mean they just they're these other three are going to be the finalists but um but it was nice because it was just so fun the the each of the makeovers was good to some uh to to varying extents but like nobody whiffed it or anything like that and the the lip sync was pretty good and it was just fun i it, the, the energy of the season i'm really going to miss it there's only one more episode so we'll see what happens but uh yeah they did the puppets too everybody loves puppets so it's good times it's true. Let's go over to the good place, the funeral to end all funerals. And uh, yes, each of the, the main like central human cast getting a funeral was, was neat and all, but mostly it just felt like filling time. And the actual story is everything else is going on. At least that's how I felt about it. What, what did you think? So I, I really enjoyed the funerals. I thought they were really delightful and silly. Um, and I appreciated when they started just weekend at burnings, cheaty into the funerals. Um, just from him relaxing on a pool floaty to for Eleanor's, he's in his post office. He's in his postal um, worker outfit. And I just went, I'm going to give it to you, show. I'm going <laughs> to give you this. <laughs> because that's, that's exactly how he should be dressed. For Eleanor's funeral. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I think all the funerals are really fun. I didn't feel like so much filling time as this episode, far more than anything else, really crystallized for me that they worked from an endpoint backwards this season. Mm-hmm. Um, everything worked. They had what their concept for the finale was going to be, and then they just worked backwards to make sure it worked. Um, Mm. and, but that makes for a really bad viewing experience for us because it results in, oh, so we did this whole switch bad Janet thing so we could do this type of thing so that we could do all of this. And I'm just like, uh, this, none of this feels organic anymore. It's just, you're just knocking over dominoes manually. You're not doing it naturally the way you did it all three seasons prior to this one. Um, so it's been really frustrating. It does. So I don't know. I don't necessarily know that it was like time filling, but it just was very inelegant in how we got to this point. Um, even if I do love like the case made for humanity in this episode and the degrees to which they made their case basically and made it correctly and like just need time and support and maybe we shouldn't punish people (laughs) and also look what they did on earth this counts too like they saved this many people and improved this many people so everyone just needs a nudge in some capacity and so i really find that really moving and really powerful but it's undercut by all the narrative mythology stuff that is just weighing down this season so much um, so, and I'm also just really sad about all those marble Janets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The army of Janets at the end. Yeah. But on the upside, 
I am glad that Ally McBeal is going to get rebooted. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I... I mean, I liked the twist that winning means they're going to just, like, blink yes. the universe out and start over. Um, but or they're, they're, they're going to just... They're going to destroy the Earth and start over, which is different than the universe. Um, but yeah. I don't know that it tracks, because if they're saying that humans are more special than we thought and more able to, more nuanced and complicated than we thought, then should, doesn't that imply they have more worth than we thought and are more worth of worthy of, like, celebrating and caring for oh i think it's less about the worth and the celebrating more so than it was life on earth was too complicated for the point system so we're not going to change the point system we're going to change the earth yeah yeah that's what it was it's like no we just need to reset the earth and readjust the point system starting from the beginning again we can't just reboot the point system or redo do this major systemic change without actually doing wiping everything off the map, basically, and starting from scratch. That's the that's the that's the thing with this. This is not about the specialness. It's about, well, yeah, Earth's too complicated and capitalism has made it this way, without saying capitalism has made it this way, carry over from season three. Um, that there's that you just have to start all the way over again and then recalibrate the point system maybe to adjust for the fact that it will get complicated but that leads into larger issues that i'm really hoping the next episode addresses which if you start over the point system is going to be judging something different um because the chances of replicating this kind of a thing seem really minimal yeah it's very yeah it's interesting uh, I, I am very intrigued to watch the next episode, and I did not let myself watch it because there is a screener up. But I was like, we need to talk about it on the podcast before I watch it, <laughs> or else I will mess up how I talk about it. I kept checking for screeners for this one, and they were available, but the screener site never loaded for me, and I was very upset. That's very, <laughs> yes, it's, it's very upsetting. Um, lots of upsetting things um, around this last season of The Good Place. Um, well, let's let's leave it there. We'll take a break now, listen to some more of of well let's listen to brian darcy james basically um seeing some more from last week tonight's bob murray musical and we'll be back with our weekend genre he was cosby's drug supplier jeffrey epstein's prison guard John, as HBO's legal counsel, please stop. I have something very important to say. <laughs> One day at the M&M store, Bob Murray walks through the door. He wasn't wearing pants that day. His and balls on full display. Full display. He grabbed M&Ms from a bowl and crammed them up his anal hole. He spread his butt cheeks far and wide. He told the tourists to look inside. Look inside. He said, my rectum's full of treats. Again, that was another delightful 
uh, just segment of the Bob Murray musical on Last Week Tonight, featuring Brian Sue James as the lawyer. Um, this week in genre, I'm going to talk briefly about the Mandalorian premiere. I've seen actually the first two episodes as we record, um, so we'll, I'll talk about those. Then we're going to catch up with Evil, Vatican Three, Supergirl, Confidence Woman, and we'll round things out with Black Lightning, The Book of Occupation, Chapter 5, Requiem for Tavon. So first up is The Mandalorian, and this is on Disney+. Plus, and I've seen the first two. First of all, like, shout out to all the critics up at, like, two in the morning or whatever it was when this first dropped so that they could watch it and then write their reviews because there were no screeners. I think they're making... I wouldn't be surprised if they are now making screeners available. Um, they just really didn't want to... Basically, there's an end of episode one, like, reveal that I think they didn't yeah. want getting out there in any way. Yeah, they didn't want that getting out. I had it spoiled for me, but they didn't yeah. want that getting out. Yeah, you you weren't going to avoid that getting out. Um, well, no. like, like, once it aired. But, like, I I think yeah. critics w- would have been fine. Um if, yeah. if, you, if it had been embargoed, then they would have not said anything. So I mostly I think it was just a way to build hype for themselves. And yeah. it's a shitty thing to do <laughs> as a critic. It's a shitty thing to do. Um, we could, why don't we just all agree that none of us are going to kill our critics by making them watch a new episode of TV at three in the morning so they can write about it instant. Like, but no, that's not. Again, see, see our conversation around capitalism in the good place. So for the Mandalorian premiere... Um, I just am not. Should I just not avoid the spoiler? Just go with it. Just don't worry about it. Um, I say give like a warning. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I'm gonna do, listeners. I'm because there's other things to talk about, but they're less interesting. Plus, I want everyone to hear your voice as you discuss the spoiler. Okay. <laughs> so there, we're gonna we're gonna do thirty seconds of spoilers. So you can just hit that forward button. Thirty seconds, starting right. Now, there's Baby Yoda. Okay, it's not actually Baby Yoda necessarily, but it's a Baby, like, Yoda kind of thing. And it's so cute, guys. It's so cute. It's the cutest thing. Like, it's like with the eyes, and it's clearly a baby. It's 50 years old, but whatever. Species age at different rates. But it's just so cute. And then, like, the little fuzzy ear. And it's just so it's so cute. And I know it's, they're just trying to sell toys. And I don't care. And I can see the capitalism and consumerism. But it's just, it's so cute. Give me the plushie now. Take all my money. Take all my money, Star Wars. I just can see what you're doing. I don't care. It's just so cute. I would keep going, but I think we're at the spoiler thing, so I will. I will. I will stop. But it's really, it's it's really good, and it's good that that has was so impactful because the rest of the premiere is like, eh. Um, the having your main character, who is Pedro Pascal, never take off their helmet is it's That's like. Yeah, in, in the first two episodes, you don't have any helmet action. There's, like, br- brief, very, very brief shots of, like, flashback while some armor is being forged. Like, every time they, like, the hammer strikes the armor, like, you get a little, like, snapshot of something from the character's youth. But, like, yeah, it's just... Pedro Pascal is really, really good. But if you take away his face and really limit his voice... There's only so much you can do. Um, I don't, I'm not one who ever thought Boba Fett was all that interesting or cool. Was one of the most overhyped characters in the entirety of Star, Star Wars for me. Um, and I say that not having read the books. I understand that in the books he's different. And he was, of course, introduced in the holiday special, which I have seen. And it's a fun animation. But, like, 
I don't care. A cool helmet does not a character make, and that is all the more true here. There's some other things that are interesting, but it really is slow in the first episode. The reveal at the end of the first episode is intriguing, and then prominently that that reveal prominently impacts the second episode, which really helps. Um, but without that element, I don't know how much the rest would really sustain. Like, it's taking too long to get going. But that yeah. reveal is so good, and I'm so invested in that reveal, that like, it's like, take all my money! I must, must commit to the rest of this just to see the thing with, yeah. Um, so, so that was smart on their part, but it's it's disappointing because they should know better. Like, these are basic things. And... Like, I don't know, like that kind of a mystique around a character that can work for 15 minutes as one sub like thread of a larger movie. But as the main character in your show doesn't work. The nice thing about it, though, is that it's like 35 minute episodes, 38 minute oh, episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so I appreciate that. Some of the just being in the world of Star Wars, I think, is fun, you know, to some extent. I like there's like a... um a rancher kind of character who shows up and is a support character in episode two, who is a lot of fun. But, um, but yeah, in general, I'm not invested in the things they want me to be invested in, except for that reveal, um, which I am a hundred percent in for hook, line and sinker. But the, I mean, Werner Herzog is, 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 is a lot of fun, but so far one scene, you know, like, and, and they're not taking full advantage of their cast. I'm hoping that it will grow into something. And I think there's the potential for that, but really I'm just in it for like the memes <laughs> right now and if you go on to um to twitter there's a hashtag about this that i can't even say without it being a spoiler that if you know what i'm talking about just hashtag that and just just like just it's super fun and i can't gotta stop talking because i'm gonna spoil things but it's really you've you've seen okay. what i'm talking about am i not right yes you are correct you are very correct Trump was, what I'm saying is that he was a much better president than I'm giving him credit for. <laughs> uh, good times. That's a deep cut. Um, I did watch that with my parents this week. Uh, listeners talking about mm -hmm. Blobby Baby from Seth Meyers. And they particularly enjoyed all the discussion around uh, having two kids and other, because of course I have three siblings and my parents started having us when they were in college. So like, uh, yeah, they, 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 my eldest brother was born when they were like 23 or something. So like young parents of four, four young kids, like when my sister was born, it was zero so like baby two four and six so like yeah like the thunk and like eh, it's fine you good you get eh, it's fine and when they got to the jokes about the third child bringing in like the being the butler bringing snacks the number of times where my siblings were like go go give me some soda go give me some and i was like okay i'm i'm being helpful guys like i was like yeah it's it's true. That's that's very. I had forgotten about that part of the stand up until I was rewatching mm -hmm. it, and they just kind of looked at me. I was like, "Yep, no, that's about right, Monkey Butler. That's about right." <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Uh, now let's move on to a less cheery topic, uh, which is evil Vatican Three. And um, having just listened to uh, the Behind the Bastards this week is about eight chan, and so having oh boy, yeah, 
listening to 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 that discussion like today as you know thinking about this episode of of evil i am obviously we we love annalee ashford here on the podcast here on the televerse and she's terrific but for me this episode is really all about the radicalization of that character and i recognize that actor from a million things too but i can't remember yes. his name he's terrific and i'm really anxious about what's going to come like they're making me hate Michael Emerson, like, so much. Like, I, I obviously, I was not a fan of Ben Linus, but, like, my levels of hate for, for Leland in this is so much greater than any antipathy I ever had towards Ben Linus. Uh, I didn't know there were such wellsprings of hate for a performance by Michael Emerson within me. Um, but, yeah. Oh, dear God. Right, so listeners in Vatican Three, um, we watch as Leland sort of radicalizes this guy uh, who gets rejected from by a coffee barista for a date, and just gives him all the standard like um, MRA red pill playbook type stuff, and then gets him an invite into onto a chan, which then involves a four way video chat that includes like an actor who looks like a baby Ben Shapiro. And I feel very bad for that man. Um, I just felt so bad for him. Um, but that deals with like, you see the radicalization. And what I really appreciate about this episode, what I really appreciate about that B plot, because like you said, a lot of the stuff dealing with the actual possession case of the week this week is good but it's also like a lot of table setting for really playing into the um, 60 demons mythology that they've been referenced that they referenced a couple of times before now and they're just like we're ready to dig in now plus we've got a cliffhanger um but what really works in this episode is that they apply the same aesthetics and camera positioning and um editing for the radicalization of this guy in Leland's um, decidedly Spartan office space um, that they do for all the demonic horror, directly associated horror type stuff. So there's there's plenty of um, Dutch angles in his office. They've got the same kind of uh, heavy use of negative space around characters. Um, where they're just sitting and talking, but then there's just shots from below um, that are tilted and just all this kind of stuff that they always do for when there's like overt demonic or you need to be afraid and unsettled type stuff that we typically associate with whether it's a creepy girl in a mask or a woman who is either possessed by a demon or so or having a severe disassociative identity disorder all those things kind of keep coming into play aesthetically but here they apply it to these therapy sessions and i really appreciate them making sure that you see that through line of Hey, remember that thing that we talked about in the first episode that I've never really gotten back to? Here it is again. And by the way, we figured out all our aesthetics now, so we're going to make sure that everything falls in line here with what we want to talk about and how we want to talk about it without necessarily being really overt about this is bad. We're going to tell you it's bad by the aesthetics that we're using to convey that to you. And not just because Leland is here and Michael Emerson is killing this, but we're going to reinforce it visually. And I really, really like that. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and even with some, like, 
as we expect from the Kings, right? With the costuming choices and the music and the use of sound and Uh the use of all of that. Like, it's all coming together in a very effective and powerful way. Um, And I'm really worried for Christine Lottie. But, you know, Uh or her character, whatever. Doesn't matter. Next week, the dad's back. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, it's going to be a dad week next week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts on Evil? Have you been enjoying... We haven't checked in in a while. Have you been enjoying the season? You're still digging it? I am still digging it. Like, um, my newsletter this week was about uh, fall shows that I recommended, and Evil was one of the ones I spotlighted, because it's really, really good. It's really it's really well acted. It's really well balanced. Um, and so I'm still really, really enjoying it. Um, it's probably... My new favorite favorite new show of the season, um, though Emergence in a very different way, <laughs> is right up there. Um, but I really, really enjoy Evil. Um, it just tickles a lot of my buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, really tickles buttons while I'm mixing metaphors. <laughs> um, but it works really, really well for me and hits a number of spots for me. How are you feeling about it still? As, especially since we're closing in on the end of the season because they're only doing 13 episodes because that's the power that the Kings have so they can make CBS only allow them to do 13 episodes in the normal season of broadcast season of television as opposed to holding it for summer. Yeah, no, we're about halfway through that, that first season and, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I am, I keep waiting for the reveal of some prophecy around her and basically around our two, our two leads, because everyone is way too, like, interested in are they fucking yet. Um, yes. So there's got to be some sort of a prophecy about, like, a baby or something. Um, or just or something. I don't know. But other than that, I, the other thing that I'm waiting on, which I'm hoping won't happen, but if they do, he'll nail it, is for, like, the reveal that the I don't even remember the character's name. That their skeptic tech friend is actually a demon <laughs> and has been the whole time. Oh, don't do that to us, Monvi. Yeah, I like. Don't but do you that know he him. would crush it. You know, like I really yeah, hope no, that I, I don't think that would. will be the case because yeah. of like the little the the few shots we've gotten of him at home and that kind of stuff. Like right. it's it's more interesting if he's not. But like yeah. I was also just watching this most recent episode going like. Yeah, but, like, also, he would crush that, so... We'll see. Well, you put it out into the universe, so... Yeah, sorry It's gonna happen. That. Thanks, Kate. I'm gonna... <laughs> my partner's gonna yell at you. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, that's not good. Um, next up, we have Supergirl, Confidence Woman. And speaking of yelling about things... Um, yeah. So this is just bad. And we haven't talked about Supergirl yes. in a while, and there's a reason, because... After coming back, and, and, like, I was really enjoying the start of the season. Um, yes. Yeah, they just give a whole, like, like just mystical backstory to Lena and Andrea, and it comes out of nowhere. It's completely unearned, and it doesn't make sense with anything we've seen or heard or known about these characters before. Um, and I got, I've got real problems with it. Real problems with everything they're doing in this episode. Um, wh- what did you think? I just, it's just really bad and it's also just really sloppy is the mm-hmm. uh, this is like my biggest problem here is that because Lena was introduced to us as 
like the good Luthor and the one that wanted to like salvage the reputation. She didn't have any other world around her when we first met her, aside from her association with her mom and Lex. So we had two evil figures um, that for her to be foiled against. Um, but that was it. There was no extensive other backstory that wasn't Luther related given to us, really. Um, so this episode intends to help justify all of Lena's behavior and responses to not knowing about um, Kara as Supergirl. And it doesn't work. It feels really silly. Um, as much as I agree with um friend of the show Caroline Sita that I would watch Lena and Andrea on a spin-off version in which they just hunt for mystical treasures all the time. Mm-hmm. Um that was not what that's not what especially Lena makes sense as. Um so it was just it was really it felt really forced. It felt like the writers had sort of acknowledged that what they're doing isn't working or doesn't really make a great deal of sense from where they started with Lena and that the arc that they sort of tried to cobble together for her in season four didn't quite make the leap necessary for where they positioned her in season five, but they didn't have a larger concept. They really dedicated themselves to this concept of Lena breaking bad by going Knights Templar, basically. Um, so it just doesn't work, and providing this backstory doesn't help justify any of the behavior. And it it allows for decent, decent Andrea stuff, I think, but it just doesn't... I don't care about Andrea enough, and Rip Roar enough, and William, the reporter guy, enough to care about this little corner of the show. So... It's just not the show. Yeah, and between that and like how sloppy this the actual point of this was, I just don't care about anything that's being done here. So I was just really, really frustrated and disappointed and also bored, which is like the, as I've said many times, is the worst thing I can say about something. Mm-hmm. Well, and you only, like, you barely get one long lost friend is actually a you know, secret mystic thing, right? And they did that with Sam already. That she was secretly an alien from another planet who was who didn't even know her identity of, but they, they already did that. And so to do that again here with Andrea as, as and and also to retcon in, oh, Lena's mother also was really obsessed with mysticism and the, these legends about like a and a, like that is so not Lena's personality. It had it never has been to 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 have any sort of a focus or an interest in anything mystical or like magic and folklore that adding it in now just is very very confusing and strange and so like if it had just been oh i'm looking for this this like mineral or this thing that will stop lex i and like and my satellites have found it and it's here and that like lining up with some story from andrea's past about it like that i could go with but when they had to make it about Lena's mom always telling her, her stories about a medallion, like it was a bridge too far, and it just doesn't make any any sense. It's badly written. Like the actors are doing their best with it, but it's like that's not how television works. That's a movie. That's not TV. We have years of experience with these characters, so as audiences, we understand them pretty well. 
hopefully, if you're doing your job. And it's just, what is, like, what are they doing over there? It's super, like, think about the characters that exist on the show now and how many of them feel like they should be on the show. Like, almost half of the characters at this point don't really make sense. Um, and I'm putting Lena in with that. Uh, so, so like, there's, like, it's, like, half of the show is a confused muddle, and half of the show is trying valiantly to sustain its core. And, yeah, it's very disappointing. Yeah. I, yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm just, I'm sad about it. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling about Black Lightning? Book of Occupation, Chapter 5, Requiem for Tavon. Right, so we haven't talked about this since the premiere, I think. Um, so we've, we've missed a bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, um, I'm still really, really liking, um, Black Lightning. I do think that it is a show that I enjoy and appreciate more when I kind of, like, binge watch it. So when I do a couple episodes mm-hmm. all at one time, I think I like the show more than when I'm watching it week to week. Like, if you can do a book at a time. Right, yeah, basically. If I can do, like, a, like a mi- miniature arc at a time, or at least a good chunk of it all at once, I'm typically much happier than if I'm watching it week to week. Which I think is why I keep sitting on it. Next episode begins chapter six. So it's, like, the book of, I think, the Rebellion or something. That And that makes sense, because of, like, where they lead here. Um, and so... I think it's, again, like, one of the things that I really liked in um, the premiere was how they sort of established this concept of Markovian threat while not really having to do it on screen. And it generally works. So having here, having the um, SA or ASA or whatever it is um, really kind of ramp up its martial law type stuff, um, I think is working really well. And the manipulations of Odell... Have, that have just been ramping up increasingly this season um, have generally been really effective. Um, but I think that before we dive in too much more with Chapter 5, we should at least talk a little bit about what happened in Chapter 4. Um, yeah. And getting getting what's-her-name hooked on green light just because it was happening in the background the whole time, to which I say, cool, but also no. <laughs> no. Yeah, and this is yeah, yeah. this is what I had my in, in our notes last week. Uh, Lynn being hooked on green light at in this episode is like because like, especially because episode four just opens with that, and then at the end of the episode, the show, oh, it's been you know planted in the place, and there's been suggestion throughout like the the screens and things, and, like like they've been like microdosing in the the yes. environment and that kind of thing to try to get her to like yeah i i get it um but i still don't think they earned it um and it's i think it'll give a lot of interesting room for them to play with Lynn and for the actor and i mean they'll there's a lot that will come from that that i think could be really interesting but they definitely it's like you have to just buy in you just have to be like no yes. But, okay, let's see what's next. And that's sort of where I'm at with it. Yeah. And I think that's the correct response. I think that this show has generally sort of struggled with Lynn to certain degrees to, like, have her have avenues or at least development within the show. Um, Because she's always locked up in a lab, typically. Almost, like, exclusively she's in a lab. And that means that people have to go to her for her to have storylines. And so 
finding a way to give her storyline within the lab, which this with the um, green light and her manifesting some abilities or seeming to um, when she healed that guy or he got healed from, I, I couldn't quite track it, um, which is another issue. Um, but it at least gives her something to play with in a conflict for also the rest of the family to have around her, which I'm, which I also really like because when they can, fully integrate that kind of stuff which they're doing a really good job this season of basically positioning all the pierces against one another it's to certain degrees Mm -hmm. um again no small part due to odell keeping them fractured to quietly fractured um i think that that has worked well enough that i'm willing to buy into it because I want to see what this actor is going to do with it, even if the writing doesn't help me at all buy into it. Yeah, you know, like the, I think they've handled those strains well. I think uh, like Anissa versus Jennifer, and and like the the Jefferson versus Anissa tension around Grace. Like I think they've really managed all of that. Well, and and they, I was having some trouble with the Landon and Jefferson stuff, but I think that, um, on the whole, they've done a pretty good job of threading that through this this book, um, these five first five episodes, and um, having really f- centering a lot of this mini season on just the Odell as puppet master has worked, and specifically because now we're moving to the next thing. It was, again, they tend to be really good on pacing on this show, and they know it's time to move on to something else. And I think that the, um, I mean, it's a little tidy, the ending um, yeah. but of, of but, the episode, but it's also so yeah. satisfying. No, it is, because I'm also just really excited because I love the actor who plays two bits and I'm glad everyone else on this show loves the actor who plays two bits as much as I do because he's very good. That character is excellent, has been consistently since day one, just really great. Mm -hmm. And now to like, be like, we're going to promote you to resistance co-leader. And I'm just like, yes, please. And (laughs) thank you. Um, So I'm really enjoying, I'm really excited by that prospect and um, that, Again, it is tidy, but they're bringing in, like, my favorite CD list character from the show and <laughs> elevating him to B. I'm just like, yes! Thank you! It also, like, really does a lot to help with Henderson, too. And yes, how they're yeah. using him. I mean, again, it's it's tidy, but it. I think they've earned that through his positioning and what they've shown us about him in the past. So, yeah, I'm excited yes, for what I think so, the- too book of um resistance is the next one what that's gonna be yeah um how are you i have like two other questions about you how are you feeling about um painkiller i guess because he's barely who he was before and then how are you feeling about the purdy and the fact that their conversations with um anissa are basically the same over and over and over again and where's the breaking point (laughs) for that and are you hoping that there is one? Because I definitely need one. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm that's obviously leading to something. And, yeah. uh, but I, it's frustrating because I don't think that I think they need to do more to get us to invest in that part of the story than just have Tavon be like, normally she's nice. 
Normally it's good. Just we're not showing you any of those scenes. Um, and I yeah. think, yeah, that do- that doesn't that doesn't work. I would love for that to be a surprise for that to be a, for it to mm-hmm. pivot, you know, dramatically from what they're they've, they've been setting up. Um, but I'm I'm removing myself from too many high expectations for where that storyline is going to go. Um, as much as I would like it like to be sur- surprised there. Cause I just, that, that's not one where I'm anticipating a satisfying payoff. Um, I think that there being tension makes sense. I think that, um, Anissa not handling it all that well makes sense. Um, I, you know, that's the kind of thing that Jefferson would be better at handling or Jennifer would be better at handling than Anissa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's good to have that specificity, but also, Maybe even just like like a half of an episode set there, just with them, yes. would go a long way. Yeah, I think so too. And then, sorry, what was the other question? Painkiller. Oh, yes, painkiller. Um, yeah, so I just really don't care about painkiller. Yeah. At all. And I think that they're, I mean, I think they're setting up a painkiller sees jennifer and that like short something kind of thing and i don't think you get to do that after he killed his mom so yeah, you don't yeah i just i i wasn't all that invested in him previously and i was so excited when they actually killed that character off because like i didn't think that they would and so to undo that and to under like to undermine their no we actually will do a big move kind of thing is is disappointing and while certainly uh the actor is enjoyable and he's doing a good job i can see why they want to keep the actor around i I mean i get it It overall it's just not as it's just not as compelling as i would like and mostly it's just building up someone for to be on team odell that is going to be hard for them to contend with because right now despite all the the faceless goons we are very much not concerned about who's going to win in team you know pierce versus team odell and having painkiller be a a major component of that you know that conflict i think will really help balance things out yeah no he he feels both he feels like a chess piece both narratively and also just within the show and it's it's fine if he feels like a chess piece within the show to a certain degree but when he just feels like one narratively like you're saying of like he's just going to be an obstacle then for that's kind of all his character is is cocky self-assured but also with the ability to back it up because he just keeps downloading <laughs> new forms of martial arts and directly into his brain like he's in the Matrix, um, which is cool. But uh, then I wonder why Odell just doesn't do that to himself <laughs> um, <laughs> because he would know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's frustrating because, again, you like the actor you lo- and he's doing really good stuff, I think, with the performance here. Um, and I like him doing this more than I liked him playing his other earlier version of himself, really. Um, but it's just narratively, it just doesn't feel anything. What do you think about Grace? I, I mean, I was really excited that she's back. I still have lots of questions, but as long as the answers eventually come, I'm cool waiting for now. Yeah, that's kind of where I am is just like, I know that they're not going to give me a whole lot. So I just end up checking out during any scenes with Grace, which makes me upset because we were both very frustrated by Grace's lack of a presence in season two, especially as things kept ramping up. Um, So I was just like, oh, 
but I find myself not caring. And I think it's a, a lot has to do with the fact that Anissa's narrative got really split up this season because of how long they had Jefferson um, locked up. And so she had a lot of moving parts happening. So hopefully scaling back um, Anissa or refocusing on this resistance concept will refocus that storyline a little bit for me. I'm hoping anyway. But yeah, I'm willing to be patient with this one. Just in part because it's obviously wanting to be a very kind of slow thing. Uh, Yeah. And and again, I was just so glad that they didn't write her out off that they brought her back. That I'm, and she seems to be very much here for the duration, at least for now. The character, yes. unless they kill her off, I don't think the character's going anywhere. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see what comes next. Um, any final thoughts on Black Lightning, or if not, what wins your week in TV? Well, I do want to mention Mom one more time yet again. Um, this season just seems really dedicated to exploring different aspects of how people cope with alcoholism. Um, and in this episode, um, uh, Adam and Bonnie go for a couple's date with uh, Jill and Andy. Andy's played by Will Sasso and is Jill's cop boyfriend. And um, Andy gets super duper drunk. Not like like embarrassing fall down drunk, but definitely drunker than Jill is comfortable with to the point where Jill realizes that she wants a dry household as a result mm-hmm. of this. Like she can't deal with... The fact that Andy's getting that drunk when Adam is around anyway. Mm-hmm. And so the scene in which Jill confronts Andy about this um, allows for one running joke where he's trying to delicately spice this massive rack of meat. and But the audience is, I guess, instructed to just be as quiet as possible during this to like really allow Jill's little moment of this is what i want this is what i need i don't think that you can give this to me so bye this is over and andy just goes oh well then i'll just stop drinking and it's just like it's that easy like the degree of which the communication between them is established and the degree to which oh if that's what you want then i'm just gonna stop drinking around you i can do that Mm -hmm. um because that's what you mean to me and that's what this relationship means to me and this kind of a thing and jill's response to this of Oh, oh, so if we just talk, our relationship is not over type of thing. And I can advocate for myself and we can have a conversation. And it's just really, really lovely in which all of that gets played out over the course of this episode. And so I just really wanted to highlight it because this is something that's been really consistently done this season in terms of dealing with different aspects of alcoholism and really consistently as opposed to doing it every couple episodes or when there's a guest star that shows up in particular, like I'm thinking about um, Bonnie's brother, uh, not Bonnie's brother. Yeah. Bonnie's brother uh, shows up and he has that drug problem, but then we haven't seen him in like a season and a half to two seasons um, and how we're dealing with it. And then just having all of that in this season as we go through it, I think it's just been really, really effective. So I've been really enjoying mom this season. Um, and yeah, I think it wins my week in TV. Uh, Vatican Three comes awfully close, but mm. I think that this, I think Pork Butt and a Mall Walker uh, win my week in TV. I'm also just enjoying that they're just turning Chrissy into just this sad, lonely, Fraser esque corn dog almost, and it's just working really, really well. <laughs> um, but so I'm enjoying that as well. Uh, but what wins your week in TV this week? 
Um, I think for me, it's got to be the last week tonight. Yeah. Episode, specifically the musical number. But I also think that the the rest of the musical number isn't as effective without the buildup of the segment that comes before it. So, yeah, I'll I'll give it to, to last week tonight. And also the people who know what I'm talking about will know what I'm talking about. And people who don't won't be spoiled, so it's all good. Also, that other thing that I can't talk about. Um, okay, now we will take a break and come back with our season spotlight on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, season four. We'll be right back after this. We are gathered here today to witness the crowning of Queen Glimmer of Bright Moon. Yeah, that's going to take some getting used to. Glimmer, come at once. We need you in the war room right away. The Horde is obviously planning something. For the honor of Greystar! The princesses have no idea what's coming. How does the Horde know our every move? There's a Horde spy. Who are the suspects? Everyone. How are you doing that? I practice at home! Princesses are in utter disarray. We can strike the final blow to the rebellion. If there's something that can protect us from the Horde, I need to know about it. It is time. Is it magical sacred bond time? Oh, definitely. You think you can just transform into She-Ra and it will fix everything? There is a great evil and it is waking up again. It's a way to channel that magic ourselves. You cannot control magic. Say things that make sense. Now that Horde Prime's arrival is imminent, I shall ensure victory. Now! Take that! Horde, it's over. Oh, it's just beginning. Looks like there's no avoiding a fight now, princess. That was a trailer for season four of Netflix's She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. And after having season two and season three be like these half season things, season four, I was surprised to see it was back to 13 episodes. No, 14, 13 episodes. And, 13. Um, and I thought it really benefited from that length. Uh, and the show's really, for me, it really is clicking in. And like, I, I thought this was an excellent season and a lot more interesting than some of like, or, or just showing the, the, living up to the potential of some of the earlier stuff. Uh, I was, I like watched it in like a day and a half. I was surprised how quickly I, I, how invested I was in continuing. Um, So yeah, I really liked it. What did you think? Yeah. I remember when we did season one, I did not care for the show. And a lot of it boiled down to the fact that I think that, um, whatchamacallit, that, there seemed to be a lot of potential there, but, like, the first season just wasn't interested in dealing with a lot of that potential. And, hey, guess what? Now they're doing it. <laughs> um, and it just took, like, another season, basically, of the seven and six that they did for two and three to get there, really. And to position everyone in a place that it all generally really, really clicked into place. Admittedly, a lot of this is really established in season three, um, particularly a lot of the catcher stuff. Um, but their dedication to that, and in particular how this episode really finally deals with some things that have not been particularly good um, uh, overarching in the season. I'm very specifically talking about Light Hope um, <laughs> and Mara. Um, that I think that the way in which they handle everything else and the fallout from the finale 
of season three um, just ended up just working really, really well. And this was really legitimately the first time that we've watched this show where I've gone, I would like to watch the next episode right now, please. <laughs> um, which is not something I get to say about, which is not something I've said about this show, even with seasons two and three of like, they were good, but this is just a big leap forward, I think for the show. And I'm really eager to see what they do in if they get a season five, mm-hmm. because I don't think that they've been renewed yet for a season five, which is frustrating at this point now. Well, especially if since they put out season two, season three, and season four all this year. Um, mm-hmm. Like, why such an accelerated schedule if you're not intending for it to come back? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that question, but yeah, they haven't they haven't gotten a season five yet. And I'm like, but this is your best season. <laughs> Please keep this momentum going without introducing Key Man. <laughs> yes, yes, I concur. Um, let's start with our core trio because we, I think that the, like, as emotional and satisfying and cathartic as the end of season three was, it really did feel like a cop out. And so to take that and really fuel all of season four on that strain like the, I have all of season four's biggest emotional breaks at least within our core trio be directly resp- like a direct response to the end of season three I thought was terrific and appropriately sustaining and and Im- impactful and long-lasting it wasn't just like a I'm angry at everything you know it's not your fault but I'm still angry um have having that just be this fissure that this third rail that Glimmer and Adora know that they can't touch, yeah, but they need to deal with. But they, there isn't a way for them to deal with it. I mean, basically, it just needs time. Um, and and to not, the, I think the show does a good job of bringing it up when it's they need to, but then also very actively avoiding it. And just like the use of negative space and in, in evil, the the negative space in their relationship this season is really active, and I think very effective. It is, and. It what it does do, however, and is sideline Bo mm-hmm. for so much. Like he does not have a story this season. His story is literally, I can't reconcile this, and I don't know what to do about it. But I'm never going to talk to anyone about the fact that I can't reconcile any of this. I can't seek advice from my dads about it. That would be the thing to do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I can't go talk to another adult who is not an angry witch <laughs> or you need a therapist a hologram. right <laughs> yeah Someone. right no he there's no there's no there's no adult mentor slash quasi not mentor for him to go talk to about any of this and it leaves him in what is an interesting state of despair throughout the season and frustration but it also means that he doesn't have a narrative of any sorts and that's really kind of frustrating after they do like the episode with his dads and it's like, oh, he's got character. He's got a backstory. He's got a history. Oh, no, we're just, he's just going to be frustrated that he can't help his friends, which is a good thing to be frustrated about. But his lack of agency in that, for me, detracts a little bit from the, the, from the trio, even if, like you said, everything with the door and Glimmer, I think, works really well. And the ways in which their anger, sorry, Glimmer's anger in particular flares up 
um, in ways that hits at what the actual issue is, not the, you're stifling me as queen, you need to listen to me type of thing, or I need to be out in the field type thing of, you let my mom die, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) And the way that that simmers for a very long time and then just finally comes out and it's just like, here's what the real issue is <laughs> type. And I really, really like that. And then everything with Adora basically being like, I can't have you in the field because then I can't protect you because I don't want you to die too. Cause I let your mom die and I feel really bad about that. Um, well not die, but I allowed her to sacrifice herself to do, save literally the entire world. Um, but the degrees to which that that gets mixed up in the anger that Glimmer feels is just really, really good. And it's really nuanced in a way that, like you said, is deeply sustaining, even if their conversations feel a little repetitive, but they feel repetitive because they refuse to talk about it in a productive way. And it's one of those kinds of splits that I can get behind of like, this feels narrative repetitive, but it's because they refuse to talk about it. And I'm willing to go with that more so than just drag, feeling like it's being dragged out because it never feels dragged out, which is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, on a lesser show, it would be repetitive. It would be tired, but it's not because it feels like it has the weight that it should. They shouldn't yes. be able to just talk about this so easily, you know? Uh, most people wouldn't be able to, and it, it would take a an exceptionally open and vulnerable and perceptive person to do that. Maybe the princess whose name I can't remember with the flowers. Perfuma. Perfuma. Thank you. Maybe Perfuma is the kind of personality where she would be able to like be open and discuss something like that in the shortly after it happened. But neither Adora nor Glitter, a uh, Glimmer. Uh, are that person. So that's appropriate. Also, shout out to the design. Uh, Glimmer's hair. Nice call this yes. season. Very good. Yeah, no. Glimmer's whole redesign, I think, is really, really great. The way that it integrates certain aspects of... Um, um, oh, dear. Um, Angela's um, appearance, I think, is really, really effective. But just the hair is real good. It... Still calls to Glimmer's original haircut while looking infinitely more mature um, than literally everyone else on the show. And I really, really like that since it was really important to have the important haircut. Yeah. Well, and also it's the kind (laughs) of thing thing. that she would absolutely do. Like, first of all, it looks great. Second of all, it does look much more mature. And third of all, it also looks like the haircut of someone trying to look more mature. Yes. yes. So it's like all yeah. of those things at once, which is a hard needle to thread. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's see. Let's talk about the other princesses, I guess. And then we'll go over to the the flip side, I guess. The horde. <laughs> um, but but I, I liked, I you know, we didn't get very much with them, but I liked the way that they played on the dividing loyalties with the uh, with the supporting characters. I think the... Um, like the, they gave little moments to them in a way that I thought was very effective. Some of the um, <laughs> perfumous thing about not liking cactuses, <laughs> cacti, was was a nice little fun beat in an episode that needed some some leavening. Um, but I particularly enjoyed the little moment they gave uh, Icicle Princess. I don't remember her name. I'm sorry, Frosta. Frosta thank you. Her <laughs> when when Bo and Adora are leaving. Um, 
And I thought that was really a nice moment. And and then having a mermaid one. Mermista. Mermista. Thank you. Mermista. Yeah. Um, like the the blow that they dealt Mermista of like her home is gone. It's been conquered. And doing that off screen and doing that like it was it was they didn't do that to Frosta. They did that to Mermista because we like Mermista more. Because we care about Mermista more. We're more invested in Mermista. And maybe that's just me, but I think that she's gotten much more time in the previous seasons than the other secondary princesses. So so it was much more impactful when it's like, oh no, your home is gone. We've conquered it. And we did it while y'all were distracted in this delightful, terrific, like, murder mystery noir fun episode. Like, what a gut punch. Yeah, and no, it's really good. And it's also in part, I think that they can't do it because Frost is just so young compared to the other princesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the degrees of her growth have been kind of limited. And like all the princesses are, but they do get like a little polish this season, each of them. To, like you said, Frosta's willingness to look the other way when Bo and Adora leave. Which is not something that Frosta, the president of the Glimmer fan club should be okay with. Um, but then that shift, I think, like you said, r- is really, really good. And then Mermist has always been a little more headstrong, a little more push forward, uh, a little more aggressive. And so having um, Selenius, her her domain, her kingdom fall, again, off screen in that really good episode is really great, but it also provides a further justification for her to be Team Glimmer with, we're going to use this big, scary, mysterious first tech weapon that we don't understand or know, really know anything about mm-hmm. without any information. And it's just like, all of this works. Though I'm also just like, Natasha and Spinnerella definitely have to have an opinion about this, <laughs> and I would like to hear what these two people have to say about all of these shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Lucy, uh, shout out to Sandra O, oh, who I greatly enjoyed in, in her oh, God, like, one so episode. Great. She's so fun. She's so she's so great as Castaspella. Just, I understand that they can only get her, like, once a season, but... It's so worth it. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with Gina Davis where they're like, I'm going to stay in the red waist. Not because you can't afford me. That's not it. Uh, um, for <laughs> plot reasons. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> um, which was a fun little exchange. Um, let, let's go next to... Uh, oh, I did not... I was straight up gobsmacked to find out that King Micah was alive. Um I did not see that coming. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe he's around more in the original. I don't know. Um, but that's going to be interesting. Certainly it's, you know, they knew where they were going at the end of the season and that Glimmer would yes. be captured. So they need somebody on the planet to, you know, yeah. But but even just on a comedic level and as a, you know, with they need someone to counter um, the, the, the Betty, Shadow Weaver. And... And so that yes. that will be a powerful thing, especially because we don't, we still don't, they, nobody has asked what happened. <laughs> and maybe I forgot something, but did we know, we, we thought, we knew that he was dead, right? Like, officially dead, dead. I thought he was officially dead, dead, but I also could have missed something as well. Um, so, no, it's a really good idea to bring him back. There are going to be a abandonment issues around that which will cause glimmer to maybe still be more connected to to shadow weaver on the upside though we get more like deadpan line readings from daniel day kim 
and that's kind of all I want. <laughs> the horse is talking? <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, and then, so, speaking of Beast Island, like, just... My dear, dear sweet Entrapta. My dear, sweet, amoral, just wants chaotic to be friends, neutral. but is chaotic, neutral Entrapta. I just, just, people care about you. Hordak cares about you, I think, in his own Hordak up way. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just... It's so good. And I was so glad that she was back in no small part because, and I told this to my partner, um, I love Entrapta's lack of respect for the frame mm-hmm. and that she just pops out of any corner of the frame and that as a character, she can do that, whereas literally no one else can. And I'm just like, I missed how you just break up frame compositions on this show, which for me are kind of stayed sometimes. Um, but she just breaks them up and I really it makes me very happy. And I missed her so much this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we needed that distance from her. Um, yes, and this, you know, we did. And the paralleling between, you know, everything going on with the heroes and the villains this season was really effective uh-huh. and needing that again, that absence to yes. really, heighten and uh, draw attention to the fractures that were already there um you know it was really effective but yeah when when she comes back it's like i was like we're gonna see her on be she's gonna be fine <laughs> like yes I, I was not worried about her at all because uh, that's just the kind of character she is i was just like either she runs the place now or she's gone full Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. It's one or the other. <laughs> and it was it was actually somewhere in between of, I'm fine because this is just a bunch of first ones tech and I'm this is all I needed. Um, but oh, when she's just like, Entrapped her, we've got a first one ship after Bo gives a power of friendship speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. Well, and especially... And, be- oh no, it was the spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and just that... She's fine, but she's not permanently fine. She's fine, fine because yeah, she yeah. stole Micah's food. And when she runs out of food, she's in trouble. Um, but she just yeah. is she would just die there, right? And she'd just be like, Oh, I guess I'm gonna die. Oh, that's 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 a that's a bummer. Okay. Yeah. You like that that would be it, you know. Uh, she's not a scavenger, she's not a survivor in that that way, and she's just so focused and obsessed with this technology she would not see like we see in in this in the season not see the walls closing in on her until it's too late um so so yeah the way yeah. that they did all of that stuff on Beast Island was I thought delightful and I'm really looking forward to what's coming next season um unless there's anything else on Beast Island oh we should take a moment for the 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 the, the never-ending story thing they do and I was like don't you dare hurt Swift Wind. I, I mean, I still haven't seen all of the never-ending story, but even I was, like, traumatized by that little clip of our tax. Like, no. I was okay with it. You, oh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't find that traumatizing when the horse dies in the, the, from the nothing by swimming to, sinking into the swamp of despair? Here's the thing. I've seen never-ending story exactly once, and it wasn't even until... Like, I don't think I saw it until, like, 2014. Yeah. I was too old for it when I saw it, too. It's just a really powerful metaphor for despair and depression. 
and here's the other thing. I don't even remember what you're talking about is the other thing. Listeners. Like, I don't remember this listener. at all. Okay. <laughs> the horse sinks basically into a metaphor for spiraling depression and drowns in, like, a okay. mud. Because it can't. Yeah. He's overcome in despair and can't fight to stay alive. So it's basically the mm-hmm. exact same thing as what happens with the tendrils in this. Only it's, like, if right. it was a bog. Yeah. And like the the, right. the the boy is like screaming for him to fight, please don't die. Mm-hmm. I'm like tearing up thinking yeah. of it. And I haven't even seen this whole fucking movie. I don't even care about these characters, but it's just such a powerful metaphor for depression, you know? And oh Yeah. Anyways, so Listeners, um enjoy having a new co host next year. <laughs> after all these lovely kind of things I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, let's also remember that while Noel is, is good and kind and wonderful, he also has no heart at certain times. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Hmm. So you were fine with it though. You so because you didn't have that like parallel to connect yeah. with. Yeah. I didn't have a parallel to draw on it. I don't like Swift Wind that much, so Yeah. 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 Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Any other Beast Island stuff, or shall we go to the Horde? No, let's talk about the Horde. Which who do you want to talk about first? Scorpia, because <laughs> okay. we it needed to happen. It needed to happen. And and you know yeah. when we talked about season three, I had not seen like the really little bits I had missed because I I had run out of time, and so I had not seen the final confrontation of Adora and Katra and like the final like. Just the disconnection from an abuser and the identification yeah. of it. And so I think once they did that, which was so powerful in season three, um, they needed to get Scorpia to that point. The relationship had become so abusive that there was no way to get come back from that. And so then they needed to get Entrapta and Scorpia out of there. And the way that they did that, I thought was really uh, effective. Yeah, it is. And the way in which like that follows through with how Scorpia just realizes steadily through the fact that someone else is going to get hurt that she cares about, in this mm-hmm. case, Emily, um, of like, oh, no, we need to, I need to leave. And then I need to go to the place where when they hold us prisoners, they give us all the pillows <laughs> and salads. <laughs> <laughs> like your food isn't in brick form. Huh. You know, yeah. the show is really huh. <laughs> committed to um, the people in the Horde are people. Um, and the way they, yes. they show that is basically with that one crew of kids uh, who yeah. they're like, don't think about who's behind all those helmets. <laughs> we don't want to spend the money to do faces. So they're all going to keep their helmets on. Um, and I and I think it's actually admirable that they managed to sustain that as long as they did. At this point, they've gone full on no evil. Like Katra, there's no coming back from that unless she actively repents and tries to change something, which she's not gonna, at least anytime soon. No. Um, and and so therefore, like I think they they are done trying to humanize the horde, and I think that's appropriate for where they've pushed, how, like how far they've pushed them. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where like. That's part of what makes the season so powerful and effective. But if they hadn't spent three seasons getting there, like really showing the tipping point, I don't know if that it would have been as effective. No, it wouldn't have. And I, as someone who, again, did not like season one, acknowledge the fact that the slow build for this is, has been really important. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense because they've been killing people this whole time. <laughs> like, But, you know, we're not supposed to think about that. Um, so, yeah, no, it's just, it's, was just 
for the Scorpio stuff in particular, it was just really, really good. And the, like, the slow realization and then the dedication to, I need to do something. Um, and then I just felt so bad that she got to be a princess for, like, five minutes. And then it all went away. Um, but I also really, one of the things I really liked was the degrees to which that the show is also dedicated to the fact of Scorpio keeps getting used by everyone. Mm-hmm. Even when she yeah. wants to do well and wants to do good by someone to like, all right, here, I'm here in Bright Moon. I just, please, I just, I needed to protect this person. I needed to protect myself. And it's, oh, hey, aren't you a handy plot device for me to get all the power I need to destroy the Horde? Why don't you come with me back to your spot of all your abuse? Thanks, that Glimmer does. Um, that is just really, really great. And again, continues this continues this thread of Scorpia just gets abused and used by people and how that can further change her and develop her as a character I'm really really excited about because even like the entirety of her existence with the Horde has amounted to no one's gonna like you as a princess anyway so like she's always just been in this position of like not being able to speak up for herself to advocate for herself to see that she has any worth and I really liked how, like you said earlier, like the paralleling of those fractures, but also in their methodologies between the Rebellion and the Horde get really murky in this season. Yeah. And and that even regardless of your um, motivations, the at a certain point, yeah. the result is the result. Um, so, yes. yeah, the, I'm sure there will be some some fallout with that next season and i look forward to to what's gonna happen with that also just like i'm I'm just so excited for entrapta and scorpia to to reunite and entrapta to reunite with emily and just like it's it's good it's like, it's like these are what actual friends are like um you deserve some actual friends and let's keep entrapta because you know if as, as long as she will stay team good for a while at least um but, but but like you like you deserve some actual friends and and it's yeah and it's great the, her commitment to to Katra and what she sees in Katra. I, I mean I think I don't know that the show will do this, but it would be great to get some brief exchange with Adora and Scorpia about Katra and how much they both yes love and respect who she could be. Um, and who she would be if she had not grown up in such an abusive background, um, who she likely would be without that trauma. Um, so we'll see. Uh, who else shall we talk about? I feel like let's save Double Trouble for last. You want to go to Catra? Yeah. So, I, again, I, this just feels like a larger continuation of a lot of stuff that they did in season three um, with like her slow deterioration, but also her like the rise to power of that line of I'm getting more powerful and I'm getting like better at this military thing, but I'm also steadily falling apart mentally and emotionally. Um, and the degrees to which that, 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 that grid goes, Oh, okay. Well now everything's collapsed around me. I've destroyed this entire monitoring room and I have to fall back on abusing these three people who just don't care anymore <laughs> that they're I'm abusing them. They're just like, no, we're not doing this anymore. We've we've proven ourselves. Bye. Also, we just almost killed Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
we're not. Um, that's not okay. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just I really like that, and then like all the stuff with Hordak and how she's attempting to manipulate Hordak, and then this next step with Horde Prime of like I'm going to survive no matter what. And how she's going to just keep sacrificing everyone around her to keep herself what she thinks is safe um, is just really interesting. And also, why are you going to trust the guy with four different eyes? (laughs) Just, (laughs) no, did you see what he just did to his own clone? He's, no. (laughs) No, Catra, no. (laughs) The only other characters I want to make sure we touch on uh, is Light Hope and Mara. I thought that that was actually really effective. I liked that episode quite a bit, and the use of Raz throughout that worked really well. I did not see the twist with that coming, but I thought it was a neat and interesting way to go. Um, Yeah, any thoughts on that? It's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, the whole stuff with Light Hope has always been my least favorite corner of the show, and I see why now, because they just couldn't do anything with light hope um without overly tipping their hand until they wanted to basically and so it always felt just really unnecessary but it also felt like oh wait light hope you keep not refusing to tell adora how to balance the planet and then you just tell glimmer (laughs) um if your goal was just do this thing, then all you had to do was tell her before she developed the strength and confidence to resist you and to have the backstory necessary to be like, but Mara. Um, So it's just the inelegance of how this plays out for me was really frustrating, even if I think that the um, vocal performance from Moria Gorodana, um, I think is really good. Plus the, like the way they mix it, I think it works Mm -hmm. really, really well. Um, but it's just, it felt like very much like large delay tactics until we got to like the actual end game of this season. And so it just never worked for me. And I never cared about the Mario stuff. I think that the Raz stuff works well from how they depict it, but that episode is mostly carried on the shifting nature of Raz's ability to understand when she is, um, and Greg Griffin's vocal performance also makes a huge difference. Um, but it's just been a corner of the show that I never cared about. And it was really frustrating for... It wasn't frustrating. It was just disengaging for me to like be like, all right, all right. I know this is plot important, but it is the least interesting thing on this show. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, I think for me, the... I, I don't know if I... I wasn't anticipating something like that. And... Mm-hmm. it really clicked into place some stuff from earlier in season one and two that I haven't, I haven't rewatched yeah. it. So, so it just really hit the nail on the head for like, ju- like connecting in just enough information. So it all like kind of clicked in a satisfying way while as I was watching it. Um, and I also just did not anticipate light hope being the bad guy <laughs> or being a bad guy. Um, so that was just a neat, neat way to go. Also, because like that can't be what it is in the original. And so to have the sword be bad, <laughs> the, the iconic sword actually be bad, was a cool thing to do. Yeah, I think that's that's cool. And I like that it and results in a, all right, so gives the door an arc of, all right, you haven't really wanted to be She-Ra, but now you're, you were developing your abilities and your power really appropriately. 
And now you can't be She-Ra anymore. What's that mean? I think is a really interesting thing. But it's it's also a very, like, well-established thing within, like, this genre of doing this kind of thing to your hero. But I'm really curious to see how this show spins that concept. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, let's get to Double Trouble, who is the new uh, yes. villain antagonist uh, char- kind of character this season. And what a fun character what a fun portrayal the actor Mm -hmm. is uh is is jacob tobia or tobia and like tobia thank you and so casting a non-binary actor to play double trouble i thought was great and the fact that that they're a non-binary character but it's not it's just part of the just get they pronouns throughout not a big deal not something they feel like the show feels like it needs to like hone in on is terrific from a representational standpoint but for me as you know cis white hetero girl it's just a cool character and a cool performance i'm not familiar with the original like that was a character from the original show um who it seems like from the, some of the reviews i was seeing was just a bit of like a kind of non nonsense not very well written or yeah. constructed kind of character um but what a what a neat addition to the world and a really fun element that's dangling at the end of the season. So I, I thought it was a very good performance, uh, some some interesting and fun writing and uh, a good way to add new wrinkles to the season. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that like, if there's a criticism of double trouble to have is that the, the show leans so heavily on the writing stuff on not on the writing stuff on the acting and performance performativity of double trouble like really hard and it's amusing for most of it but it also just this is the only way double trouble talks about anything is a little frustrating um but it's such a nitpick uh because of the ways in which double trouble provides Again, good bits of chaos, um, but also, again, continues to provide a really good um, foil for Catra in this case of, all right, they're able to survive in a way that you aren't. And in this very indirect sort of behind the scenes sort of way, and they have that detachment that you think that you have, but you do not have. And the ways in which Double Trouble is able to navigate these factions and basically kind of come out on top, um, I think is really interesting and a really, uh, it provides just the perfect amount of commentary on both sides of this conflict of like, yeah, yeah, we don't really talk about anything. We, we sometimes go to like a city that's been saved, but, uh, this war happens off screen now. <laughs> So let's talk about someone benefiting from this war in a way, and we get double trouble. And I think it works really, really well. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to uh, – I, I would assume we're not going to check in with double trouble immediately at the start of next season, but just that they're going to be sort of out there to be pulled in next yeah. when it is convenient. And that in any show that introduces and manages to sustain a shapeshifter – in an interesting way without it becoming overly reliant on that ability or becoming um, just like it turning to sort of like cheap shots, you know, like, like convenient mm-hmm. ways to get out of stuff is something I, that I appreciate. It adds such uh, difficulties to 
Like, like for example, on Charmed this season, right? They're doing the whole white lighter, dark lighter thing with with Harry, and so it's like, oh, is it act? Is it good Harry or bad Harry? And how do you tell? And that kind of a thing, right? So it, it just adds more issues that you have to be aware of for the characters once yeah. they realize that there's a shapeshifter out there, but but also for the writing. And um, so far, they I think they're handling it well here. I liked how quickly. <laughs> they put the, the good guys put the pieces together once they had a reason to, you know, um, it was like, it was actually very straightforward and it, you know, they, the show walks up to, and then immediately takes a left turn to avoid the problems that other shows would do with this or that previous shows have done before it became such a familiar trope that that would not be a satisfying direction to go. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Double Trouble this season, and I'm looking forward to whatever comes next. Do you have any other characters you want to make sure we talk about? Uh, no, I think we... Oh, you know what? There's one thing that we have not talked about yet. Mm-hmm. It's fun being friends with friends, Kate. It is fun being friend- <laughs> friends with friends. <laughs> oh, good times. That's going to be stuck in my head. No now, shanties! So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was like... I probably, if I had to cut something, that's what I would cut. But, um... Yes. No, absolutely. The Boys Night Out episode is just not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, we did. We needed some, some bow content. So, you know, I'll, I'll, yes. I'll give them that. Yeah. And that will absolutely... The Power Rock remix, right, is is, is worth it. Yes. Uh, good times. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, people should seek out She-Ra. Do you think they can just, like, jump in in season four? Or should they jump in on season three? I feel like you should jump in at like season two or three. Um, okay. I think that makes the most sense. I do not recommend jumping in on season four. Um, just I, I think it works standalone-ish probably, but I think that it's it's better as a as a story if you've got some background. So I think coming in on two or three is probably your best bet. Okay. Yeah, and I mean I. I liked it more than you did from the start. So I would be like, start season yes. one. But if it's not your thing, then jump ahead to season two. And yeah. Give it some give it some time to kind of like... that Because then the impact in season four is so much more significant when you get there. So Yes. I mean, and they're 30-minute episodes. So they, they, they go pretty quickly, all things considered. Um, well, on that note, uh, making an impact, I'm looking forward to... Hopefully it gets renewed for season five. Uh, I am very much looking forward to what's going to come next and just, like, the impact of, like, wow, these, so I guess these are what stars are, you know, kind of thing. It's just... Yeah, which was very cool. Yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens if they get a season five. But for now, that wraps up our week in TV and our season spotlight here. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook, start up conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us an Apple podcast with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate rating some reviews there as well as over on Stitcher. And uh, also, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are at noel rk thanks so much for a great week kate thanks noel and for that tea delicious as uh, also just being your fabulous even cold-hearted self from time to time (laughs) and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse 